Hello, everybody. Thank you for your ongoing prayers for my shoulder after my rotator cuff reassembly. It's uh, slow progress, but uh, at least there's progress. I uh, remember when I had my other shoulder operated on, I was bemoaning the pain, the constant pain of physical therapy to my physical therapist. And I said, why does it always hurt? I don't feel like there's any progress because it's always hurting. And she says, just this distilled wisdom, seriously, that, that if it's hurting, you can tell that you're making progress because you're always stretching to the point of pain. So just think about where you started and where you are now. It's a much, much greater difference. And, of course, that's the spiritual life too, isn't it? We always stretch to the point of pain. And because we're always hurting, we don't realize we're also, also always growing. The pain fogs our mind, as it were, and um, keeps us unaware of the fact that God is using our trials and our pain to draw us closer to him. So thanks for your prayers. Don't stop, because I've still got a couple more weeks with this gizmo on. And uh, then after that, the real physical therapy begins, and I will have more conversations with my physical therapist. <laughs> when we go to Israel, and I mean really go to Israel, it's uh, wonderful for a number of reasons. Of course, to see all the biblical sites, to walk where Jesus walked, is great. But it's also great to just get a little taste of the culture. And one of the cultural things that's sort of an anomaly to Israel is the Sabbath. We don't have Sabbath here in the United States, at least on a big, you know, big national level. There are some uh, Christians that uh, obey the Sabbath or honor the Sabbath, uh, but that's not like it is in Israel. And Israel, like Jerusalem, shuts down Friday night. I mean, people are hustling home to get ready. I have seen Orthodox, uh, ultra-Orthodox Jewish families in their, their black garb holding hands and running at a full-off sprint to try to get home before the Sabbath begins. It is a major deal. Traffic stops. I tell you, the best time to tour Jerusalem is on Saturday because <laughs> there's no traffic. I mean, you can get your bus anywhere you need to go. It, uh, everything shuts down. And as long as you don't need to buy anything, uh, if you do need to buy anything, just go to the Muslim quarter. They're open. No problem. <laughs> but the most unusual thing about uh, the Sabbath in Israel is so what's called the Sabbath elevator. If you've been to uh, a hotel, they have an elevator that's, that is called the Sabbath elevator that automatically turns on every Friday evening automatically turns off every Saturday evening when the Sabbath is over. And the Sabbath elevator is such, it, it operates on, in that you, it opens by itself. You walk in and you don't touch any buttons. You just stand there. It closes the door by itself and then it stops on every floor so that you don't have to work to push a button and closes, and close a circuit. Sabbath elevator. I know, I know. It is, it's a culture that's different than ours, but it is their effort, uh, it's their legitimate effort to try to obey the law as they understand it. It wasn't that different in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, the religious leaders put together what is called the Mishnah, which is a Hebrew or a Jewish interpretation of the law, 
And on the Sabbath law alone, they came up with 39 categories of work with each six subdivisions of those 39 categories to where this one law had now almost 240 applications. For example, you know, when it says obey the Sabbath and do no work, it's like, well, now we've got to get real specific. What does that mean? And the Mishnah interpreted it and gave some, some laws like dragging a stick on the ground is forbidden because it could be considered a form of plowing. You could spit on a rock, but you couldn't spit on the dirt because from the dirt it might make clay, which could conceivably be made into a brick, and that's work. <laughs> So your mind never rested. You were always wondering, am I working? Am I doing something wrong? And so all of these laws were, were made really to assist the, the worshiper, as it were, to give them a sense of uh, peace. But the reality is it was a hard, lot of work to keep the Sabbath. A lot of work to keep the Sabbath. Most of us in the uh, United States, or at least here in the South, can remember what were called the blue laws. You remember the blue laws? You remember growing up with the blue laws, but I, we haven't had much of those since. I'm not sure exactly where it switched. It was the 80s or the 90s, but blue laws kind of went, you know, light blue to, to white to just vanishing. It just went away. And the blue laws were that, you know, places of business couldn't be open on Sunday. They weren't open on Sunday. And then the mall started doing it. I don't know if it was around Christmas time. Or, but th the closest we have it now is Chick-fil-A. You know, Chick-fil-A, they, they're not open on Sundays. And uh, at least the malls, Hobby Lobby also. Well, I don't go there much. But <laughs> I go to Chick-fil-A a lot. Believe me, I know Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. And, uh, you know, we've got different hours on Sundays. But other than that, there really isn't anything that uh, designates one day of the week is more different than any other day of the week here in the United States, even in the Bible Belt. There's an outdated Rhode Island state law that said, quote, exercising any labor, business, or work, or using any game, sport, play, or recreation, causing any of the above to be done by you or by your children, your servants, your apprentices, on the first day of the week, Sunday, the penalty for the first offense is $5. Second offense is $10. Well, that's better in ancient Israel. In ancient Israel, if you didn't obey the Sabbath, they would stone you. So God took it very seriously, and it was a command to ancient Israel. So I've always found it interesting to read uh, Henry David Thoreau's work on Walden Pond. I mean, we're all familiar with his name. We're all familiar with Walden Pond. And we may even be familiar with this particular line in it. He says, quote, I love a broad margin to my life. Sometimes in a summer morning, having taken my accustomed bath, I sat in my sunny doorway from sunrise until noon, wrapped in reverie. Ah, we all want to go to Walden Pond. And that sounds so great until we see our neighbor doing it. And then we think, oh, lazy bum, get a job. Recreation is appealing in poetry, but it is appalling in reality. We don't build statues to people who rest. We don't build statues. We don't give awards to people who rest. There's no glory in resting. It's working. 
It's the person who puts in the extra hours that gets the raise, not the person who takes off early. I mean, <laughs> how would you like it? It would be a great job, wouldn't it, if you went into your boss and he calls you in, she calls you in, says, uh, I've noticed that you've been taken off early. I want to give you a raise. <laughs> the fact that we laugh at that shows that we are people of our culture. Rest is not honored, and yet God commanded it. Well, let's look together at Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus 23 begins discussing the fall festivals of Israel. We've already been here a little bit sometime back when we looked at the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But, but Leviticus 23 begins with the oldest of all holidays or holy days, and that is the Sabbath. And I'll be honest with you, this is a bit of a hot potato. Please don't raise your hand, please don't holler out, but some of you, I know for a fact, Floyd, grew up <laughs> in a context where the Sabbath was a big deal, the Sabbath being defined as Sunday. Am I right? You're shaking your head yes? Okay, good. Sorry, I didn't mean to call you out, but that's the way it is. <laughs> when I know you personally, you're fair game for any illustration. But think about it. It's a point of contention today between Christians. Is, are the Christians supposed to observe the Sabbath? Is the Sabbath Saturday? Is the Sabbath Sunday? Are we not under the Sabbath any longer? And while we might land in a comfortable place for each of us and decide, you know, this is what I believe, and then we just move on, and even here as a church, as we kind of, obviously, we worship on Sunday, so we kind of have already dialed it in in our minds, and some of us might say, you know, who cares? It's not that big a deal. It doesn't seem to be referenced much in the epistles. But for some, it is a big deal, and it's worthy of locking horns, they say. So I'm not here to offend you, depending on your background of, of how you grew up or what you might believe about the Sabbath, but what we want to do is just read the Bible, and not only here in Leviticus, but also in a few other spots we'll turn and look at and see what the Bible says about the Sabbath, and of course, not just that, but so what? What difference does that make in our lives? So Leviticus 23, start right in verse 1, and I am in verse 3. Verse 1, the Lord spoke again to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, The Lord's appointed times which you shall proclaim as holy convocations, my appointed times are these. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, a holy convocation. You shall not do any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwellings. So when this command was given originally, it wasn't original with Leviticus. Leviticus is repeating what Exodus uh, 20 actually mentioned. And you don't need to turn there, but if we were to turn to Exodus 20, we would see that God said you are to observe the Sabbath day, and then God says, for... In six days, the Lord created the world, and on the seventh day, he rested. So the model of the Sabbath was creation. And just sort of a sidebar, it's interesting that God made the, the command for six literal days of our work and a literal day of rest with his creation. 
implication, they were literal six days of creation and a literal seventh day of rest. If you say that it's not, then you got a pretty fuzzy hermeneutics that you have to do with Exodus chapter 20. But now back off the that, back into what we're looking at. The Hebrew word for work refers to a person's assigned daily task. Whatever your duties was were, God said, it had to cease on Saturday or the seventh day. Now, uh, we can leave Leviticus. This is a principle we see here, but we're going to jump several different places throughout the Scripture. So get your, um, your turning flaps ready. I've kind of got one flap a little off here, so this one will have to flap double. And let's look at Genesis chapter 2, where this appears for the very first time. Genesis 2. There was a mother who was talking to her children about what God did on each of the days of creation. And when they got to the seventh day, you know, first day was this, second day was this. When they got to the seventh day, she said, uh, what happened on the seventh day? And one kid raised his hand and says, I know, Mom, I know. On the seventh day, God was arrested. (laughs) Well, at least he's trying to listen. He got sort of that right, but God rested. And he rested or he stopped not because he was tired and not because he was retired, but because, as we're going to read, chapter 2, verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all the work which God had created and made. Now, it's important to note the details there, especially in verse 3, that we're told the reason why God ceased, or the reason why God rested, is verse 3, because in it he rested from his work which he had done. He set the seventh day apart as special, or he stopped work on that day, he ceased, and he set it apart, he sanctified it as a special day, because in it, we're told, he rested from all his work which he had created. So God, it doesn't say that God is, he's not like the deistic God that made everything and then just kind of sat back and just watched his creation you know, do its thing. God is still very involved in his creation. He is not a deistic God that is, doesn't touch anything. He is very much, as we would hold, a theistic. We have a theistic view of God that he is sovereign. He is involved in his creation. He didn't just create it and then sit back. He created it, and he's still very much involved. In fact, Colossians says that Christ, who is actually the the person of the Trinity who was the one who created the world, that he holds all things together by his powerful word. He is still very much active. So when it says that he ceased and he stopped working, he stopped working, meaning he stopped creating. There's no more creating after this. And he created, as as Genesis 1 and 2 tells us, he created everything and God saw that it was good. He created good things. And that's important because if we were to keep going, we all know what happened in the very next chapter, chapter 3, when sin entered the world, it kind of monkeyed up God's creation. 
and the Sabbath, which was intended to be this capstone of the week, which intended to celebrate that God had made everything and it was very good, now sin has entered the world, and the Sabbath no longer can celebrate the goodness of God's creation because the goodness of God's creation has been marred by sin. And so then God is set, set about in chapter 3 to begin what we see in the rest of the Bible as the new creation, that God uh, would now make a new creation, we're told, that was done before the foundation of the world God intended it. And there, would all, there will also be a Sabbath, as it were, a rest of God's new creation. So there was a Sabbath that celebrated the completion of God's original creation, which was marred by sin. And there's a new creation that is coming with an ultimate fulfillment Sabbath at the end. Something that we don't hear about a lot is that second ultimate Sabbath, as it were. So let's look at that. If you would, turn to the other side of your Bible in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. The new creation. It wasn't until God gave the law to Israel in the book of Exodus that the Sabbath actually became a command. Um, there in Genesis, it was just something God did. Nothing was commanded. God didn't say, hey, I, I set the seventh day aside, now you set the seventh day aside. Thousands of years went by before God actually told his people in the book of Exodus, now you observe the Sabbath. And that was done to um, basically show that this is a sign that between God and Israel that they are under the Mosaic Covenant. Hebrews chapter 4 shows us this ultimate fulfillment, that uh, when Jesus came, he, he not only fulfilled the Old Testament Sabbath, the Old Testament law, but he also ushered in the beginning of this new creation with the, with the real meaning of rest. So the Sabbath had at its core much more than not working and much more than not pressing elevator buttons. It was a whole lot more than that. It elevated the celebration of God's completion of his creation, both originally and with the new creation through Jesus Christ. So look at what the author to the book of Hebrews writes here in Hebrews 4. Look down at verse 8. Hebrews 4.8. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Very interesting. The context, of course, of Hebrews is that um, it's written to Hebrews, obviously, and these, these are Jewish Christians who have come to Christ in the first century. They're sort of second-generation Christians, we know from reading the uh, early part of this book, and their temptation, because of the peer pressure of the Jewish community, was to go back to the Mosaic Law, and we see this all throughout the book of Acts. 
Peter struggled with it. Barnabas struggled with it. In Galatians 2, Paul had to rebuke them both. Acts 15 was all about this tension of should Jewish Christians have to obey the Mosaic law? And they, they went to Jerusalem and they had this council that decisions had to be made and the message had to be spread. The book of Galatians was written to say we are no longer under the law, written to Christians who were confused about this. And so this is an issue that we don't necessarily think about, but in the first century this was major, and the book of Hebrews was saying, don't go back to the Old Testament way of doing things because the new covenant or the new testament has come, and it is better. In fact, this is the major message of the book of Hebrews is that Christ is superior in every way to what went on in the Old Testament. He is more superior than angels. He's more superior than Moses. His priesthood is more superior than Aaron, and on and on it goes. And so the point here is the Sabbath rest that's referred to is resting from working to try to earn your salvation. He says you can rest from that. You have entered into rest. You have, you have uh, verse 10, you also have rested from your works just as God rested from his. It's, an, it's a neat parallel to the Sabbath. So the Sabbath rest that we enjoy as Christians is a celebration, as it were, that Christ's completed work on the cross is done. We don't have to do any work. We have, a, we have a Sabbath, as it were. We have a Sabbath rest that we rest from doing anything. Christ has done it all. Christ has done it all. So a principle that we can pull from this is simply stated, and, and simply stated in a lot of words, believers celebrate God's Sabbath rest by resting in Christ's finished work on the cross. Believers celebrate God's Sabbath rest by resting in Christ's finished work on the cross. The fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of the Sabbath from God's perspective, Hebrews chapter 4, is that you don't have to work for your salvation. Christ has done everything for you. He's done everything for you. Now, here's the hot potato. And again, don't answer out loud. Are we Christians to observe the Sabbath today? Let's look at several passages. First of all, flip back to your left now at Romans chapter 7. Go ahead, turn, Romans chapter 7. It's that big book right after Acts. Romans chapter 7. One of my favorite all-time movies is Chariots of Fire. I love Chariots of Fire. Interesting, I don't know if you notice, but uh, Harold Abrams, Abrahams, who was sort of the anti, he's the Jewish person in there who is the anti-Christian person, at least in the movie. Abrams actually came to Christ toward the end of his life. And if you remember at the beginning of the movie, it begins at his funeral in a church. He, he actually became a Christian in, a, in his uh, funerals there in a church. Anyway, but we all... We all sort of felt this pride when Eric Little refused to not run on a Sunday. Remember? And he, he called it the Sabbath. He referred to it as the Sabbath. And we all, as Christians, sort of felt this pride, even if we didn't believe what he believed. We all sort of went, yay, Eric, because whether or not what he believed was true, his passion was to honor God and to honor the Word. Romans chapter 7, look down at verse 4. Paul writes, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made 
to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might fear, that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that which we, to, by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So Paul is really elaborating here in the book of Romans what he did in a very shorter book. If you want to read the cliff notes of Romans, just read Galatians. But Galatians basically says we're not under the law any longer. And Paul says the same thing here. We are not under the law. And to prove that, he quotes one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not covet. Implication, we are not under the Ten Commandments any longer. Which is a very interesting hot potato, considering we've got the Ten Commandments plastered all across our churches and everywhere. Now, does that mean that we can now commit adultery? Does that mean that we can now, you know, covet? to use Paul's own illustration? No. Nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament for Christians to observe. There are some timeless truths in these Ten Commandments. The only one of the Ten Commandments that isn't repeated in the New Testament for Christians is the Sabbath. Why? Why would it not be repeated? Because in uh, Exodus 31 and Ezekiel 20, we're told that the Sabbath day was the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. That covenant is now gone. There's no need to obey that particular sign. It was God's covenant to Israel, to Jews, to Hebrews, not to Gentiles, as it were. Now, you're in Romans. Look at chapter 14 now. And let's get more specific. Chapter 14, verse Four. Chapter 14, verse 4, Paul says, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat and gives thanks to God. It's a, got a bigger context, but what Paul is essentially saying is some people re obey the Sabbath and some don't. This is what he means when he says one day above another. And some people say that it's okay to eat meat, back up in verse 1, and some say only eat vegetables. Uh, it's a bigger context, but Paul's major point here is, who are you to judge somebody else if they've got convictions on this? There, there are the stages of growth, Paul says. And uh, if somebody is weak in their faith and thinks, I can't do this or I should do that, we who are strong and who know the truth should bear the weakness of those who are weak. Romans chapter 14. So, right there, verse 4 and 5. Don't judge somebody 
who believes this or doesn't believe that about the Sabbath, but verse 5, be fully convinced in your own mind. One more place, at least regarding this, look at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2. Verse 16. Colossians 2.16. I wait for you to get there because I really, really want you to see this. Colossians 2.16. Okay, Paul says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. These two verses are huge in our theology of understanding a Christian's participation, or at least perspective, on the Old Testament festivals, including the Sabbath. If you want to observe them, you're welcome to observe them, seems to be the principle. But don't judge those of us who understand that we're no longer bound to observe these things, as is the New Testament giving a clear um, explanation. In fact, Paul says all these things are a mere shadow of what's to come. We've said this before, but boy, it bears repeating. You know, when you're walking around and the sun is shining, it's early morning or late evening, and you're casting a long shadow, and you see that shadow, you can't, you can't, um, uh, what, what matters is not the shadow. What matters is what's casting the shadow. The shadow is just a reflection, as it were, of the substance. In other words, it would be crazy for, if you're on a walk, you know, with a friend of yours, and uh, you're both casting shadows, to just talk to your friend's shadow. It's like, hello, I'm right here. To talk to the shadow would be silly. Maybe that's not a perfect illustration, but you can think about it when Paul says, these things are a shadow of what's to come. Don't focus on the shadow. What has been casting the shadow has come. Focus on that, and that is Christ. And the Sabbath is included in this list of things that's a mere shadow of what's to come. Uh, we here in the 20 and 21st century are not the only ones who have thought through this. I mean, they thought through this, as we've said, very early on in the book of Acts. And uh, at the end of the first century, there, is, there was a, a bishop named Ignatius. We don't know a lot about church history in our circles. We're real good with... Uh, Old Testament history, some between the Testaments is still a little fuzzy. New Testament, oh, we're solid on that. But then church history, it gets real fuzzy until around 1517. We just don't know a lot about the early church. Ignatius of Antioch lived in the late first century. Uh, Gary Burge has a great little book called Jesus and the Jewish Festivals. And in it, he writes this. Ignatius of Antioch lived in the late first century and wrote the same things, even criticizing Sabbath observance, as antiquated. And he argued that keeping the Lord's Day is valuable, meaning Sunday, because it celebrates Christ's resurrection, through which Christians find life. 
No doubt by A.D. 100, or at the latest, 150, Christians had come to a consensus that the distinguishing marker of the Christian life and worship was Sunday, and that Sabbath observance was to be left behind with the many other Jewish festivals also listed in the scriptures. This is the end of the first century. And by the way, Jesus was the first century. And Ignatius, though he's not in the Bible, was definitely a believer, very much a leader in the Christian community at that time. So, and incidentally, it wasn't even until the 16th century, so like the 1700s, that the Sabbath was moved in some Christian circles from Saturday to Sunday. So it's really a very late tradition. All of that to say, believe what you want to believe about it, but don't judge someone else's beliefs about it. The scripture seems to be clear, but for those who have not yet gotten to the point of clarity or have a very deep conviction based on their culture or want to honor the Old Testament somehow uh, with the Jewish festivals, I, I think the scripture definitely allows that but with the caveat of not judging someone who views it differently. That's, uh, that's very important. Think about Christ. Christ dealt with the Sabbath a lot in his ministry. How many times did he lock horns with the religious leaders over the Sabbath? You know, he's doing something, they're saying, hey, you're breaking the Sabbath, when in reality he was breaking one of those 8,700,000 rules that Jesus says you are holding the tradition of men higher than the word of God. He's passing through the grain field one time. The uh, Pharisees say that the disciples shouldn't be breaking or, or getting grain and eating it because that's working. And Jesus says, just listen, Mark 2.27, he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. A wonderful principle when you think about the purpose of the Sabbath from the one who created the Sabbath. The purpose of the Sabbath was for people. Not vice versa. The people are not created for the Sabbath, but vice versa. Jesus saw the Sabbath as something to meet needs, not to, to empty you. Uh, so he also, one time, Jesus modeled, said to his disciples, come away by yourselves to a lonely place and rest. Jesus wasn't against the Sabbath. He was for it. He observed it, but according to the way that it was supposed to be observed. In fact, at least 10 times in the Gospels, we see Jesus getting away with his apostles and resting. There's nothing wrong with resting. In fact, we are, we are designed by God to need rest, and it's unbiblical to not do it. So all of this of saying, and maybe even implying, and maybe even flat out suggesting that we are no longer under the Sabbath, doesn't mean that we're no longer under the principle of it. It's timeless. We need to rest. We need a regular diversion. We need a regular cessation from our normal activities for worship, for rest, for restoration. So here's the second principle. Insist on a regular cessation and trust God with what's undone. Insist on a regular cessation and trust God with what's undone. I don't know about you, but I never stop working because I'm done with my work. I'm stopped working because it's five o'clock, and I've have, I have a wife who loves my company. 
<laughs> What'd you say? Oh, I thought you said scorched. No, but seriously, we don't stop working because we're done working. We stop working because we need to stop. We need to rest. We need to have a time of refreshment. If you stub your toe and peel back the toenail, <laughs> what a wonderful illustration. Nobody, knows, nobody misunderstands why you're screaming. We all, we all get it. But when your emotions are screaming, it's not that easy to know why. That kind of pain is more invisible and more subjective, and yet it is just as much real. When we try to relax, we are often labeled as weak or unproductive and complaining. Have you ever worked at a place where, like, the honor is overwork? Like, we honor the people that are the workaholics rather than honoring the people that keep their lives balanced. Boy, it's such a different environment than um, some places. And ministry can be the worst. I remember Howard Hendricks, uh, he, Dr. Howard Hendricks said that one guy came to him one time and he told this pastor, this preacher came to him and said, uh, Hendricks asked him, are you going to take some time off this year? And this guy said, I won't be taking vacation this year. The devil never takes vacation. How'd you like to say that to Howard Hendricks? <laughs> Howard Hendricks said, really? I didn't know he was your model. <laughs> As only Hendricks could say it. But such truth, our model is not workaholics, even, even Satan. Jesus, the one who could do everything, pulled away, took his disciples, got away, and said, let's rest a while. With all the unmet needs, Jesus pulled away and rested. Uh, Alex Pang has a great little book called Rest, subtitle, why you get more done when you work less. Not a religious book. It's basically just research that shows that the people who add rest to their life are actually far more productive than the workaholics. He's got enough, another book, I think he wrote after this, I'm trying to remember what he called it. I think it's called Less, and it basically argues for a four-day work week, which COVID proved can be more successful, regardless of uh, what some want to say. If you really focus, you can be far more productive than just watching the clock and, and uh, burning your time. Churchill has a book, and I've got, uh, got it. It's called Painting as a Pastime. I'm going to read, read you a little bit of it. I'm not a painter. Tried it, and it just didn't work out. But uh, he was, and he said this, Change is the master key. A man can wear out a particular part of his mind by continually using it and tiring it, just as in the same way he can wear out the elbows on his coat. But the tired parts of the mind can be rested and strengthened, not merely by rest, but by using other parts. He says, The cultivation of a hobby and a new forms of interest is therefore a policy of first importance. To be really happy and really safe, one ought to have at least two or three hobbies, and they must be real. So for him, it was painting. For me, it's woodworking. For you, it might be something else. Um, I, I, my wife, I, these are the kind of questions you love to get. Kathy said years ago, she said, this Christmas, do you mind if I buy you a really expensive gift? <laughs> sure. 
she bought me a table saw. And at first I thought this and I thought, oh, this is kind of like, you know, me buying my mom a soccer ball or something. Can I play with your soccer ball, mom? But Kathy bought me this and it has become a love. I love woodworking. And I never knew that I could cut a straight board. But a table saw actually allows you to cut a really straight board. And uh, it's been a joy, both to me and to others that I've built stuff for. But the point is, uh, rest doesn't just mean, you know, you go lie in the backyard and count clouds. It means you have a diversion. It ha- you have something outside of your norm that refreshes you and that brings you to the point of worship, worshiping God. Naps are good, too. Anybody nap in here? Naps are good, okay. There's, there's two questions that are being asked there. Does anybody in here nap? Second question, does anybody nap in here? Now, I can answer the second question, absolutely. I know that you nap in here. I try not to take it personally, but it happens. Salvador Dali, every time he needed a short nap, he would put he would hold a, a spoon in his hand and then put a, a metal plate under his chair. And he'd sit in the chair and he'd fall, and, and he'd fall asleep. And he'd drop, when he'd fall asleep, he'd drop the spoon. It would hit the plate and it would wake him up. And he said, that one and a half seconds is all the rest he needed. And if you've seen some of Salvador Dali's paintings, you can see the man needed more rest than that. So, listen to Psalm 127. Don't need to turn there, just listen. Psalm 127 begins, and you know it. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his, what? Sleep. Exactly. In other words, back to the principle that I mentioned, when it's time to rest, rest, and leave, leave it und- what's left undone, leave it to God. Because God provides for us even in our sleep. You don't have to be working for God to provide. He provides for us even when we're sleeping. I heard about a couple of men that were given the job of clearing a field of trees. Two guys, Ed and Bill. So not, 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 our, not our Ed, but another Ed. Ed and Bill. Bill wanted the day to be profitable, work nonstop, swinging his axe nonstop. Ed, on the other hand, he worked hard, but he seemed to kind of work about half as fast. He even took some time to just kind of sit down. And at the end of the day, Ed had cut more down, more trees than Bill. Bill said, how in the world did you do it? And uh, Ed said, did you notice that while I was sitting and you were working, I was sharpening my axe? I don't know if that's true or false, but boy, the principle in it is absolutely true. I think Abraham Lincoln said, if, I, if I'm given uh, five hours to chop down a, three, a tree, I'm going to use the first three hours to sharpen my axe. Uh, we won't turn there, but Ecclesiastes 10.10 was a v- verse that changed my life. I actually went back to seminary because that verse influenced me to sharpen my axe. And it basically says that if the axe is dull, you must exert more effort. But wisdom comes with the strength of the axe. So, you sharpen your axe. 
You sharpen the saw with rest, with refreshment. What the Sabbath teaches us is timeless. Our bodies need it, need rest and refreshment. Our spirits need rest from working, thinking we've got to work for our salvation. And the Sabbath supports the celebration of both of those things. Now, we've got some time. I wonder if you've got some questions or points of clarification about what we've talked about. Anybody? Just raise your hand, and maybe we can let the mic float around. Okay, in the front, right down front here. Daniel is fleet afoot. Thank you. I'm just wondering in the Old Testament, why did God seem to take it so seriously when he said, you know, if you didn't work, you'd be stoned? I mean, if you if you worked, you would be stoned. Great question. Um, because, again, the Sabbath was the sign that you were in covenant with God in the, in the Old Testament. And so it was basically like the command that showed that you were obeying God, submitting to God, and are willing to follow the, the laws in the Old Testament. So God took it very seriously because he wanted the covenant as a whole to be taken very seriously. And that was the sign of the covenant. Okay, Mike's got one back there, so. I want to share one thing with you. There's still one blue law that's upheld in the state of Texas. And that's a franchise dealer may not be open contiguous Saturday and Sunday. Okay. For those of us that, that don't speak legal, what does that mean? Together. Okay. Interesting. For a franchise. All right. All right. Anybody else have a comment or question? Um, I'm interested in uh, what you say that uh, rest uh, means uh, stopping to work of your uh, salvation, and which I consider that to be true in uh, John 15. Uh, we remember that uh, without me, you can do nothing Good. Uh, by Jesus Christ. Right. And also he said, there's a new commandment that I give to you in John 13, 34. If I remember that, it says, uh, a new commandment that you love one another. So with a saying of press and also commanding us to love one another, is a task that we have to do not only in our family, but also in this congregation. So thinking of press has a dual meaning of loving and resting, which occurred to me that uh, everything is uh, in God's plan. So how do you comment on this uh, issue? Um, I'll try to respond and make sure I've understood what you said. To rest from working doesn't mean we rest from obeying. We still obey. But the issue is the motive. 
we're, we're resting or we're ceasing from working to think this earns us anything before God. And instead, we obey from the motivation that we have been given salvation. So it's a totally different motivation. One tries to earn it. One lives it out because it's been given to us as a gift. Okay. So, yeah. Thank you. Great question. Okay, was there someone over here? Okay. Um, um, I was thinking from the Bible, um, um, when Jesus was praying at Mount Sinai, that he prayed to God before he was dead, and then, um, his best friend betrayed him, and because he wanted that money, and, and he says, take back your money, and he died for himself, because he betrayed his good friend, um, when Jesus were on the cross, say, God, forgive them, then know what they do, and you'll be with me in paradise, and then he was finished, and then the other people were mean to him, and the earth shook, and, and then, then the governor said, truth, what is truth? And then he told him that he was a king, and his kingdom is not from this world. And that I learned that how we need to be kind to others than we we be kind to our friends and our neighbors to help them. All right. So was there a question or you just wanted to share your observations? All right. Thank you. Uh, like you were mentioning, God is concerned about our heart rather than the outward uh, kind of display of whether we're trying to earn our righteousness by ourselves. And I, I think it's interesting that during the French Re Revolution, they tried to throw out God's seven-day work week, or, I mean, seven days of the week, and you rested on, on the seventh day. And, and it, it went down in flames and utter failure when they tried to make the work week, I think, like 10 days, and the animals died because they didn't get rest. The people became ill. And it's like understanding the things that God say, says to us are for our benefit if we can internalize them and not make it a rule, but understanding God's attitude to bless us if we'll listen to what he tells us. Hmm. That's good. Yeah, I watched a documentary on Thomas Edison recently, and... I sort of wondered as I was watching it if uh, the sovereignty of God struggled at all to let Edison discover the light bulb because it kept us working after dark, you know? <laughs> Seriously, I mean, the, the light bulb has made workaholics of, uh, of, of, of the world. The cell phone? <laughs> Edison didn't invent the cell phone. So. Steve Jobs did. Okay. All right, any, any other uh, questions or clarifications? All right, good. Well, let's pray together. Father, as we look toward this uh, issue of the Sabbath, it can definitely be a point of contention for us. But uh, as we've said, your, 
your, this, the command of your son is that we love one another and, and how we view the Sabbath and its application has to be in a context of love. We see that in the epistles as we see the Apostle Paul de- definitely sharing that uh, what we believe about this is something that we cannot judge someone else, but, but we will stand or fall on our own before you, and we are not to judge one another. At the same time, thank you for the clarity in the, in the scriptures that allows us to make the decisions and to realize the struggles that the early church had, where they landed, where the, uh, the, the first and second century church landed, and how we can learn from their very, very thoughtful uh, application of the Sabbath. And thank you also, Lord, from the scripture, as we see the ultimate fulfillment of it, as Hebrews tells us, that the work's done. The, the cessation of our effort to try to do anything to please you outside of Christ is done. That Christ has done it for all of us on the cross. And his resurrection provides the proof that our sins are completely paid for when we place our faith in him. Thank you for the, the picture of our salvation and the rest that we have from it. And even just on a practical daily basis, um, free us from the necessity of productivity and help us to see that resting can be very productive and that we can sometimes honor you more through doing less than doing more. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Wayne. Until next week, may you have a restful and productive week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.